Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. For the last several weeks now, we've been in our, our New Year series called 2020 Vision. And we've been talking about things that as a church and individually, Parker Menix, We've been talking about things that as a church and an individual, we need to focus on this upcoming year to help us as a church do more for God and us as individual believers to draw closer to God. And so we've been talking a lot about New Year's resolutions. And, and New Year's resolutions are good. But basically what a New Year's resolution is, it is you making a decision to be devoted to something. You, you look at your life. You see things that you are devoted to that maybe aren't the healthiest habits. They, they take your time. Maybe they take money you don't have. And so you look at your life and things that you are devoted to, and you say, these things are things that I want to stop doing because they're harmful to me. They're harmful to relationships. They're harmful to health. They're just it's a waste of time. And then you say, but here are some things that I believe would help me, would make me a better person, would improve my life, give me more joy. And so these are the things that I want to be devoted to. And all of us are devoted to different things at different times in our lives. As a kid, I was devoted to baseball cards. I love baseball cards. Anyone else collect baseball cards? All right, I got a couple of them. I like the gum the best. Uh, although sometimes it was like so old, it would shatter in your mouth and cut the roof of your mouth and you'd bleed out. Uh, but I loved collecting baseball cards. There was one player in particular who I was truly devoted to and spent most of my, my, my young years trying to gather his cards. It was this player right here. Anybody know who he is? It's Andres Galarraga. And you just said, who? He was, uh, when I first came across him... He was the first baseman for the Montreal Expos. I played first base, so I was naturally drawn to him. And there was nothing really that, struck, that, that, that he stuck out about. They're like, oh, he's a great player, and he's the, he's the best of all time. He was just a good, consistent first baseman. And so I liked him. I started to follow his career. He was later traded to the Cardinals, then to the Colorado Rockies. He finished up his, his career in New York. But I, I followed his career, and I collected his card. And he had a lot of major accomplishments in his career. Uh, he was the National League batting champion in 1993. He was the National League RBI champion in 1997. Uh, he won a lot of awards before he retired in 2005. Here are some of his awards. He led the National League in hits. He led the National League in total bases earned, in doubles, in runs created, in extra base hits, in batting average, in home runs, in RBIs for two different years. He led the league in RBIs. And he was the first player to win the National League Comeback, of the, comeback Player of the Year twice. 
And I just, I liked him because he wasn't a lot of flash. He wasn't a lot of great stuff, you know, great stardom. I know I really followed him, but he was a consistent, solid player. And I, I collected all of his cards. And the one card I really wanted was his rookie card. And so I'd go to, to card shows with my dad, and we'd, we'd look through different things. And he's looking for, like, you know, Babe Ruth and Shoeless Joe Jackson. I'm like, you got any Andres Galarragas? And they're like, who? And so, but I, I finally found his rookie card. And I paid $20 to buy his rookie card. I bought one of those, you know, plastic cases that you keep them in. And I put it in that plastic case. It was on my shelf. And I took care of that thing. I dusted it. That was my favorite card. Years later, when I stopped caring, I sold that rookie card. You know what I got for that card? $7.50. His value didn't hold up very much. But I was devoted to, to cards, to baseball cards. I was devoted to Andres Galarraga and collecting his cards. And people express devotion in a lot of ways. Some of you here, you're devoted to these things. You all know what this is, this is? If you're devoted to this, what are you called? Gamer. A gamer. Lazy or a gamer. Yes. You're a gamer. And look, I remember when, my, when I was a kid... I mean, we, I had the, uh, my first game system was the Atari, and we'd play Pong, and uh, we had like a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark game, which was weird because pygmies ate you, but uh, then we eventually got the NES where you had to, you had, and some of you kids, you don't know the struggle, the struggle was real, you had to blow in the cartridges, and then you had to put a cartridge on top of it to make sure it stayed down, and sometimes you had to stack some under, it was, it was like a, a, a combination to make sure you got that stupid game to start. And then you'd get started, you'd be going well, and all of a sudden someone would jostle the table and you'd lose all your work and you'd throw a fit and hissy. And then we got the, the Nintendo 64. And so we, but we played games all the time. We played Bond. I love Bond. I love Goldeneye, where you could put big head mode on and just go around shooting each other. And uh, we played games. And I remember my mom saying, I don't know why y'all like games so much. You're never going to make a living off of it. And I believed her. And now I look at these teenagers making millions of dollars a year playing video games. I think, my mom ruined my life. <laughs> but if you're devoted to this, you're a gamer. Other people are devoted to a lot of different things. How many of y'all know what this is? It's not for making meth. I'm just going to let you that know that right now. <laughs> it looks like it, but it's not. This is for making coffee. I know most of you are like, it doesn't look like a Mr. Coffee. But people who have this type of equipment in their house are either drug makers or they're coffee fanatics. We are in what, what is being called the third wave of coffee devotion. The first wave came when Folgers and Maxwell House came out with their instant coffee and you could make it and brew it at home. The second wave came during the whole Starbucks and, and coffee shop fiasco where everybody had to go to Starbucks to get other coffee. And now we're in the third wave where people have science labs set up in their kitchen to make the perfect cup of coffee. They have special equipment. They have special grinds. They have to make sure the temperature is the right way. They have to get the, the filter wet before you put the coffee in. Then you've got to bloom the ground. It's just, it's, they, have, they spend a lot of money on equipment. And they have a lot of technique to make the perfect cup of coffee. And people who are this devoted to coffee think Starbucks is garbage. And they're right, let's just be honest. But they look down on you Starbucks aficionados like, that's not real coffee. And so they're devoted to coffee. 
And so devotion is something, we're all devoted to something. We express our devotion in different ways, and that's nothing new. The early church modeled devotion. They were devoted, however, they weren't devoted to special coffee-making techniques. They weren't devoted to getting the, the cards of the latest gladiators of the day. They were devoted to things that mattered. And because of the things that they chose to devote themselves to, God used them to turn the world upside down with the gospel. This church that, that was devoted to the right things, they changed the course of the world. We are here today because of their devotion. Because of what their devotion to what was, we are able to come and worship together today. And the book of Acts is the, the history of the church. It's the, the birth of the church and the growth of the church. And in Acts chapter 6, we see some interesting things happening in the story. So get your Bibles open in Acts chapter 6, starting in verse number 1. The Bible said, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied. Now, what we see here is the church is growing rapidly. And if you ever study the growth of the church in the book of Acts, you'll see it grows at an incredible pace. It's, it's, a, it's an impossible pace that can never be matched again unless we had the Spirit of God like they had the Spirit of God. But the book of Acts, they, many theologians say that in six months, the church in the book of Acts went from 120 believers to over 800,000 just because they multiplied. So the church is growing. Now that's, that's incredible growth. That's growth you can't keep up with. That's growth that you can't really sustain and you don't know what to do. And so they've just had incredible growth. Let's continue reading verse number one. <clears throat> and, okay. and in those days when the multitude of the, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians. This is how you know it's a church. Something's happening. Church is growing, and somebody ain't happy. Somebody's murmuring. They're complaining about something. What is happening here is the enemy is trying to distract the church. They're growing so rapidly, there's so many people saved. The enemy is trying to distract the church. Growth can be a distraction. You get so caught up in trying to maintain the growth or make sure everyone's happy. And so growth, you can get so busy doing the work of the ministry that you're distracted from doing actual ministry. So growth can be a distraction. Obviously, complaints can be a distraction. But let's keep reading. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. That is the first ever recorded problem in a church. And it was not a doctrinal problem. There wasn't a problem of doctrine. They weren't complaining someone was preaching false teaching. They weren't complaining about works-based salvation. It was a cultural problem. In Jerusalem during this time, a lot of cultures, especially in the church, were coming together. You had Jews and Gentiles with different backgrounds, and they were coming together. And as these cultures came together, they had some problems with each other. And so this was a cultural issue they were dealing with. But let's keep reading in verse number 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples together 
uh, unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of, of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we have appointed over, over the, this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Porteus, and uh, my Bible says it weird. I've got to read it up here, because mine breaks it up odd. All right. And Nicarnor, and Timon, and Parmetheus, and Nicholas, and the proselyte of Antioch. If you think I got those words wrong, you try to do it. Amen? <clears throat> um, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, a lot of people, we read these verses, and we say, oh, they appointed deacons in charge, and that's when the ministry took off, and that's when people started to get saved, and that's when everything took over. I don't believe so. I believe the reason we read in verse number 7, the word of God increased and the number of disciples were multiplied, was because of what we read in verse number 4. Look again at verse number 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The word give there is the Greek word prokostero, and it means to be devoted to. It means that, and we, we read that, we think, that, oh, it's the apostles talking. And yes, it is the apostles, but they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about the whole church. It means that they are going to give priority of their time, priority of their energy, priority of their schedule. They're going to give effort to what they call the prayer and ministry of the word. The early church, they focused on prayer and ministry of the word. And what they were doing here is they were saying our priority, our devotion, our focus needs to be seeking God. And because they were devoted to seeking God, the word of God spread. The disciples multiplied. So as we focus on things that matter in 2020, I want us to focus on to be devoted to seeking God and see how the first church did it. So to do that, we're going to ask a couple questions. Here's the first question. What is the ministry of the word? I know this is the second part of the verse, but we're going to start on it first. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So what the ministry of the word literally is, it is a public reading and explanation of God's word through teaching and preaching. It's what we're doing now. This is the ministry of the word. We're opening the Bible, we're reading the Scripture, we're seeing how Scripture applies to us, and we're teaching what the Bible says. It is when we come together as a congregation to learn the Word of God. And we, we trust that God is speaking to us through His Word. And this is what Paul taught Timothy when he was writing to Timothy in the letter of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. He says, Till I come, give attendance to reading to exhortation, and to doctrine. Now, the word doctrine there literally means teaching. So Paul is telling Timothy, hey, Timothy, until I get back, and he never did, but until I get back, I want you to make sure that you are giving priority to reading the Bible, and he's talking about reading the Bible publicly, 
to exhortation of the Bible, and to preaching or teaching the Word of God. So why is it so important that we take time to open the Word of God and learn God's Word? Because God established the church to give priority to the Word of God. God established his church so we could come together and as believers learn the word of God and so the lost could come in and hear the word of God and God gave the church, established a church to give priority to the word of God. Again, the word doctrine there means teaching. When he talks about doctrine, he is talking about explaining the word of God. Doctrine answers the question, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about divorce? What does the Bible say about my finances? What does the Bible say about about this sin here? What does the Bible say about how I should rear my children? What does the Bible say? Doctrine answers that question. But then he says, give it to us not just a doctrine, but to exhortation. Exhortation, it encourages us to apply that truth to our life. That answers the question, how does that apply to my life today? What does the Bible say? How does it apply to me today? So exhortation is applying God's word to your life. So preaching is teaching the Bible and explaining how it applies to your life today. That's important because my opinion doesn't matter. My opinion doesn't mean a thing. No pastor's opinion matters. The only thing that matters is what does the Bible say and how do you apply it to your life? That's why I despise preachers who, who get up and I've had friends who do it, not friends, but people I've been in places that say they'll read one verse of Scripture and say, all right, shut your Bible, it's preaching time, and they never go back to the Bible. That's not preaching time, that's opinion time. And your opinion doesn't matter to me. My opinion shouldn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to my wife, so why would it matter to you? What matters is what does the Bible say and how do I apply it to my life? And when we preach the Word of God and we sit under the teaching of the Word of God, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and speaks to the people of God. God always works. God's Word always works in the heart of the believer. God's word works in your heart and your life to transform you into the image of the Son of God. Look over in your Bibles in Isaiah 55.10. If you can't get there real quick, it's going to be on the screen, so don't worry about it. Isaiah 55.10. Bible says, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So here's what Isaiah has given us a picture of. Rain and snow do the exact same thing. They water the earth. Now, they water them in different ways, obviously. The rain waters the ground immediately. It starts raining, the ground gets wet, the grass gets soggy, the mud comes up, and as it rains, it is watering the earth right away. But snow, it waters the earth, but it does it slower. It'll snow, the snow will stay on the ground. You, if it's not like the, this last week where it was on the ground for like 20 minutes, but it's on there for days sometimes, it stays on the ground. But then as the temperature warms up, the snow begins to slowly melt, and it slowly waters the earth. 
There are places in the world where it's, it's arid, dry, it's desert ground, but the snows in the mountains help water their crops for the rest of the year because as the snow melts in the mountains, it runs down in streams and rivers and becomes great, a great place where they can water their crops. And so snow waters the earth, uh, rain waters the earth. They just do it in different ways at different times. Look at verse 11. So he's talking about this and he says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sit it. So God says, rain will water the ground and snow will water the ground. They do the same thing at different times and different ways, and my word's the same way. God says, my word will do what I want it to do. Sometimes we come together and we sit in the preaching of the word of God or the teaching of the word of God. The Holy Spirit moves and we, the word of God comes down like rain. And we receive the word of God and it changes us. And we're like, oh, that is so good. That wonderful truth that we go out of here thanking God for what he spoke to our hearts. Sometimes it snows in here. And I'm preaching and y'all are just like, mm-hmm. whatever. And I'll leave in April say, how did it go? And I'm like, it stunk. Sometimes we leave and it snows. Now, did the truth of the word of God still get preached? Yes. If I'm preaching the Bible and I'm preaching the word of God and showing you what it says and how it applies, the truth God preached. Now, you may not receive that truth until later. It snows on your heart. And you leave here thinking, oh, well, that was a waste. And then a couple days later, a couple weeks later, maybe a couple years later, something happens in your life and that word of God starts to melt. And you remember that truth. Say, this is what he was talking about. Still, the word of God did what it was supposed to do, did what God wanted it to do, just did it at different times. So sometimes God snows in your life and sometimes God rains the word in your life, but the word of God always does what God sends it to do. We as a believer and we as a church need to be devoted to the word of God and to the ministry of the word. That's how God, see, that's what God wants to see in our life. And that's what God wants uh, us to see in the lives of others. But here's another question. What is the ministry of prayer? Look again at verse number four. In Acts chapter 6, not Isaiah, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I was wondering why it didn't make any sense to me. So Isaiah, I mean, Acts chapter 6 verse 4, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. Word, this is often interpreted incorrectly. How we typically see this verse is the pastor's, will bring on deacons so the pastors have time to pray and prepare sermons. And that is needed. As pastors, pastors need to pray. Look, I I need to pray just as much as you need to pray, probably more than you need to pray. Say, why? Because of you. And because you don't pray like you should. But I need to pray in, in myself, and so we need to pray. Ian Bounds says this. He says, God's true preachers can be distinguished by one great feature. They are men of prayer. But I don't believe that is what is being taught in Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Look at it again. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The, the Bible says here that they were going to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. The, one of the issues that we have in reading an English translation of the Greek is the Greek language has a lot more 
verbs and adverbs and conjunctions and all kinds of things that really, if you, if you get them out of place, it changes the whole meaning, but they don't translate well into English. We just don't have that many descriptive words, so we translate it as best we can into English. And so in the Greek translation, uh, it sometimes affects how we interpret it. The article the in the Greek is before all three words, prayer, ministry, word. Here is a Greek word-for-word translation of this verse. But we to the prayer, the ministry, and the word will steadfastly continue. So what they are saying is, we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. But what is the prayer? Is it a prayer we quote? Is it the Lord's prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth. No, it's not the Lord's prayer. It's not not a prayer we quote. It goes parallel with the ministry of the word. So what they're saying here is the church was going to devote themselves to come together corporately and sit under the preaching and teaching of the word of God, but they were going to also come together corporately and pray together as a church. See, the balance is we are to sit under the instruction of the word and come together and seek God desperately in prayer. See, the early church, they unlocked the key to God moving in and God moving through the church. And the key is prayer and the ministry of the word. It's like a plane. Planes require Two wings to fly, right? So if you have a plane, it's got two wings, it's going to fly. You've got to have two wings. Now, I know you also got to have thrust and lift and all that garbage. I don't care about that. We're talking wings here. A plane has to have two wings to fly. If you get on a plane like this that has one wing, how many of y'all are going to stay on that plane and wait for takeoff? Probably none of us. You get on a plane, you sit down, you look out one window, oh, there's the wing. Look at the other windows, there's no wing. They start taxiing away from the terminal. Hopefully you would say, you know what? I'm going to get off because this plane ain't going to fly. See, watch. Actually, that flew pretty well. Ignore that scenario. (laughs) That's what you get from the dollar store trees. See, this I'm not going to throw this one because this one will probably crash and burn in a heartbeat. But planes that aren't made of foam need two wings to fly. And God, in his sovereignty, established the church with two wings to capture the Spirit of God as he moves. We need both wings. We need prayer and we need the ministry of the Word of God. Some churches have one wing. Unfortunately, today, there's a lot of churches that don't have any. There's a lot of churches going around that have no wings whatsoever. North America is one of two continents. One of the, the only, there's one of only two continents. The other continent is Europe. It is one of only two continents where Christianity is on the decline. The rest of the world, Christianity is thriving. Some places is growing really fast. Some places is growing slowly, but it's growing. But in North America and Europe, it's on the decline. Why? Because the church in North America doesn't have two wings. We've become weak in one 
or both areas. Churches are, are weak in the ministry of the Word of God. Too many churches have regulated the Word of God to a season of what they want it to say instead of the substance of what is actually being said. Instead of stating, starting with the Scripture and saying this is what the Bible says and this is how it applies, they start with what they want to say and try to find a Scripture to back it up. And that's a weak in the Word of God. Too often we've regulated prayer to something we do in transition times. And look, we're guilty of that here. When I came up and gave announcements, you know what I did before I gave announcements? I prayed. You know why I prayed? So the, the singers could get down. You bow your head, close your eyes, they go down. You open your eyes, they're gone. It's magic. Poof. And so we've regulated prayer to something we do in transition times. I mean, look at, look at our churches in this world, in this country. Look at how our country is, our culture is. And we wonder, why is it so bad? Because God gave the church to move us, and he gave us two wings to do it, and we are operating on one or no wings. We need prayer, and we need the word of God to do that. We need an awakening in the church today. Now, Thankfully, many churches have gotten back to the ministry of the Word of God. It's amazing how many, how many pastors I know and I see churches popping up where they are devoted to teaching what the Bible says and how it applies to their life. They've gotten back to the ministry of the Word. But what we've ended up with is churches full of Christians who know a whole lot about the Bible, know a whole lot of doctrine, but they're weak in prayer. So they're knowledgeable but they're powerless. The church knows a lot of stuff, but doesn't do a lot for God. Until we get devotion to the word and devotion to prayer, we're not going to have any power of God. That's why the first church was so successful, was so powerful. It had devotion to the word and devotion to prayer, and they had the power of God. Yes, they had growth. Yes, they had problems and distractions, but they didn't let them distract them from what really mattered, the word of God and prayer. And that is how they began to live their life. You study the book of Acts, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. In 26 of them, Corporate prayer is mentioned. In 26 of the 28 churches, the church came together to pray together. Now look, we need to pray individually, but as a church body, we need to pray the word of God together. John Franklin said this. He said, the greatest workings of God come by corporate prayer And we will not see the power of God in sufficient measure to transform the world around us until we pray together. God in his sovereignty had determined that something happens when we pray together that transcends praying separately. When we seek God in prayer together, we experience the power of God moving in and through us. We see that in the book of Acts. See, when you study the prayers of the church in the book of Acts, you notice, yes, they prayed together a lot, but this week I studied their prayers. And every one of them, they were praying Scripture. They were quoting Scripture back to God. Oh God, you have said. Oh Lord, it said of old. And they would, they would pray Scripture together. 
It's what one pastor calls scripture-fed, spirit-led prayer. So what does that look like practically today? Well, I talked to a pastor this week that does that, and what his church does is they'll have a verse of scripture they read together before the preaching starts. They'll throw a verse on the screen. They'll read the scripture together three or four times. Then they'll have you know, three to five minutes of prayer where they pray together as a church and they pray that scripture. If the Lord says, give us labors of harvest, they pray, God, send us laborers to help with the harvest. And they pray together as a church through the scriptures. And this is something that I want to start doing in our church. And I want to do it more than just on Wednesdays. So starting next Sunday, before we dismiss our kids, we're going to start having scripture-fed Spirit-led prayer. But we're going to start right now. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the disciples have been arrested. They've been beaten. They've been told to stop preaching the gospel or they would, would be killed and be persecuted. So they go back to the church and they, they tell the church, this is what happened. This is what they said. And so let's read the scripture again. It's on the screen. Yep, it's on the screen. Uh, ben, can you click through it while I read so I don't got to look back? So let's read it. Oh, well, I'll read it with you. <coughs> so let's read together the scripture. It's right there. Everybody can see it? If not, look at your Bible. All right. And when they heard that, all right. When we read together, what do we do? We read together. Open your mouth. All right. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, here's what they quote scripture, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine of vain things? The kings of the earth stood up. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done, and now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. So there's a problem in the church, there's persecution in the church, they get together and they pray. And they quote, they quote, quote Psalms 2. Why is the heathen rage? Why does the heathen vain, imagine vain things? And then they ask God, God, give us your power that we can preach the word of God with boldness. And God gave him his power and the place was shaken. So here's what we're going to do. Now, I don't want anybody to move or get up or come to the pew or whatever. I just want you to, to pray where you're at, pray with your family. Now let's just have a minute or two of silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in praying through the scripture, and then we'll continue with the sermon. So let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this privilege to come in your presence as a, a church family and, and Lord, seek you in prayer. And Lord, like the church in the book of Acts, Lord, we're, we're suffering a little bit of persecution today as well. Nothing as serious as they were, but God, the, the culture is so anti-God, so anti-church that Lord, it's, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to not want to let our beliefs be known for fear of people ridiculing us or, or mocking us. So God, I pray that just like the church in Acts prayed, that you would keep the resistance at bay, that you would silence the mouths of those who would try to stop the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness to preach your word. Lord, not just in this church, but God, in our lives, in our homes, in our schools, in the places we work. God, help us to have the boldness to share the gospel the boldness to, to show people how they can know for sure that they're going to heaven when they die. Boldness to proclaim the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for our sins. God, give us boldness. And just like you gave the church in Acts, God, give us your Holy Spirit power to accomplish the work that you have for us to do. Lord, we love you, we thank you for loving us, and we thank you for what you're going to do through our church for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. And to me, I believe that is the ministry of the word, the ministry of prayer. As a church, we come together, we look at the scripture, we pray the scripture together, asking God and believing that God's going to answer. But that brings us to a third question, and this is the last one and final, and we'll be done pretty quick. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that we devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the Word? Well, number one, to neglect the Word and prayer displeases the Father. The Bible says in Acts 2, it says, It is not reason that we should leave the Word of God. The word reason there means pleasing, agreeable, reasonable, or desirable. If we don't give priority to praying together and learning the word of God together and applying the word of God together, God is not pleased. Doesn't matter if you're pleased. Doesn't matter if I'm pleased. It matters if God is pleased. And let's be honest, there's a lot of church done today that doesn't please God. Because it's done for us. It's done for our, feel, our, our comfort, our glory, what we want. Unless we prioritize the word and prayer, God is not pleased. Second reason, to prioritize the word and prayer invites the presence of God. We need God to show up in our midst and do what only God can do. You know, I hope this morning you didn't come to, to hear, hear a good sermon. I hope you enjoyed the sermon. I'm not saying I hope it stunk. I hope you think, man, that's a good sermon. That's always my goal. But I hope you didn't come to say, man, I hope I hear a good sermon, or I hope I come to, to hear some good music. I hope that's not why you came. I hope you came to meet with God. I hope you came to feel the presence of God. I hope you came expecting God to show up because you need him. When we give priority to prayer and the word of God, it invites God to meet with us. And when we meet we will give priority to the word and, to, pr and to, the, to prayer. You 
have to give priority to coming. We'll, we'll make sure, as a, as a leadership of the church, we'll make sure we're giving priority to prayer, we're giving priority to teaching the Word of God, but you've got to give priority to showing up. Because we can do all we do, but if you don't show up, you miss the blessing. Attendance in church in the U.S. is falling. Church attendance has become casual. It's become something we do when we feel like it. The manifestation of God's presence is not dependent on just the leaders. It rests on all of us gathering together and giving priority to prayer and priority to the word. So here's what that means. When you choose not to show up, you could be robbing all of us of a blessing. So we'll give priority to prayer. We'll give priority to the word. You give priority to being faithful to the house of God. All, prioritize, all of us prioritizing prayer and prioritizing the word of God will invite the presence of God. And then thirdly, to prioritize the word and prayer allows us to experience the power of God in and through us. Look at verse number seven again. And the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. How did this happen? Because they prioritized prayer and ministry of the word. God fueled his mission through his church coming together. And God will use us in ways that we can never imagine as we come together and seek him in prayer and seek his truth of the word of God. Ian Bound says this. He says, the life Power and glory of the church is in prayer. The life of its members is dependent on prayer, and the presence of God is secured and retained by prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. This year, may we as a church devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the Word. Let's pray.